be seated. Well, good morning, church. Again, we're in Romans chapter 8. I'd encourage you to turn there and uh, read with me God's Word as we seek to aim and aim to know His heart regarding these things this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 8, page 888 on uh, the, the Bible underneath your chairs. been encouraged in our field training classes before our worship service, um, especially this time being a part of a, a class called Hearing God's Word, the importance of expositional preaching uh, in our churches uh, for the sake of the health of our churches. And uh, those of you that were in class uh, this morning uh, and, and those that weren't, uh, please realize it's important for you to look at God's Word and see God's Word to make sure what is said from this pulpit is what God has, uh, has already said. So let's read together. And you looking at your copy of God's Word as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you pray once more with me as we seek the Lord in His Word by His Spirit this morning? Father, I'm bowing my heart and my head to pray, and yet I just read a verse that says that I do not know what to pray. And yet, you have been gracious towards us and by your Spirit have inspired your very Word to help guide our prayers. And so God, I pray this morning that in accordance with your Word, we would have greater understanding of who you are. Uh, that we'd have greater understanding of who we are, that we'd have greater understanding of the times in which we live, 
and we'd have a greater understanding of your Spirit's work in this life, in between the times. And Father, I'm thankful that um, through Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection and His ascension, You have sent us a helper who helps us so that even when our prayers are small and finite, um, Your Spirit helps us in interceding for us. And so, God, may we end all of our prayers and requests like Christ Himself did before He suffered greatly. Not my will be done, but Your will be done in this service, in this preaching, through this time in Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have heard in this passage some repetition, uh, some repetition of few different words that may have stuck out. You may have heard in uh, verse 24 and 25 the word hope uh, repeated over and over and over. Uh, maybe you heard the word groaning uh, repeated and, and recognize that there's several different groups noted here that are groaning. Uh, I know groaning has, uh, in many of our minds who have read God's Word, groaning seems to have a negative connotation, especially if we think about the Old Testament and the groaning that Israel did in the wilderness. Do you remember that? After the Lord delivered them miraculously out of Egypt with the ten plagues and through the Red Sea, they got onto the other side and it only took three days for them to groan and complain uh, and, and begin to doubt the Lord and, and His provision. Um, parents, I know you hear your kids groan and complain like the Israelites, and it's frustrating. Or adults, you going to groan tonight when you set your alarm for tomorrow morning to get up. And, and when the alarm comes on, you're going to groan. and uh, Things are not as they should be. Uh, there, there is a sense of groaning. You may groan at, uh, a, a sp when you're watching ESPN and SportsCenter, and remembering to pray for uh, the church that we prayed for this morning, uh, remembering ESPN because of Jonathan's prayer. You're also going to groan in that sports game because of something that happens or doesn't happen. Your team loses or doesn't do as well. There, there's all sense of, of groaning here, but there, uh, there is one sense of groaning that is right uh, that we see here and is, is normal in fact, and has been happening ever since the foundation of the world. So kids, when you groan and complain, just make sure it's a biblical groaning and complaining. And you can come back to your parents and explain. If you pay attention this morning, you have got a way to groan and complain and to seek the Lord and yearn for the Lord to return this morning. But you got to pay attention to know how to do that. And if you don't, parents, you got to pay attention to know whether or not their groaning is biblical. Uh, later on this week. So let's, let's look. Let's consider what the Lord has for us uh, this morning. Um, Paul introduced an idea in verse 17. 
um, that we have this knowledge that we are children of God if um, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit as we cry out, Abba, Father, to God Himself, and, and said that if we are children, then heirs, and we are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. And then he ends with this phrase, we, we, we can know that we're children of God, we can know that we're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. We have this hope of glory as children of God. We have this, this forward-looking future glory that we're looking forward to. We, we have this knowledge on this earth and in this life that things aren't as they should be, but we have this hope. We have this hope not only in the future, but we have this hope in Christ um, that we will also be glorified with Him. He who was glorified, we too might be glorified with Him one day. But he, but, he, but he says we have this hope, we have this assurance that we're children of God provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. And then Paul uses that as the, the springboard into this better understanding of what that what it means to suffer well and suffer uh, in faith. As in verse 18, he begins to open up. And if you're taking notes this morning, really the, uh, that first verse is kind of our overarching truth that we're going to be looking at. And that is that present suffering is not worth comparing to future glory. We see this in, in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul said that we know that we are children of God if we suffer with Christ, God's Son, our brother, our co-heir. When we suffer, we know that we're God's children. And yet, Paul is reminding us of this truth that the present suffering that we may experience here on this earth is not worth comparing to future glory. And in the Greek, Paul emphasizes, and you can underline, not worth. In a sense, he says that the suffering... Uh, that we are experiencing here on this earth and the glory that we are going to experience are inseparable. If you're a child of God who suffers with Christ and like Christ, you will be glorified one day. You, you can't suffer and not be glorified in the end as a child of God. If you suffer as a child of God, you will be glorified as a child of God in the end. You can't take them apart. And yet, at the same time, the suffering and the glory are not worth even spending your time comparing them. And, and so if they're not worth comparing, they are worth contrasting. They're, they're so far apart that, that they're not worth, not worth spending our time comparing them 
because they're so different in that. Paul is saying that the lowest low that you could experience in suffering here on this earth, the lowest high of glory will far exceed that lowest low of suffering here on this earth. There is so much to look forward to in the glory that we have that is yet to be revealed to us that the sufferings are just not even worth comparing. And he goes backwards to creation to prove this. We talked this week, Graham and I, about this. And, and, and we had this, Graham had this question of like, why not go forward? You would think at that point, he would say, they're not worth comparing. Let me just tell you what we have in store for us in heaven. But Paul doesn't do that. He goes backwards and, and, and shows us that something that has been experienced by all of creation for thousands and thousands of years um, is experiencing these things because of what was determined before they were even created. And so Paul doesn't go to heaven this time and tell us about how great heaven's going to be. He, he tells us about the suffering that we're experiencing right now is not unnormal. It, it, it's, it's regular. It's, it's normal. It's right. Uh, and God has, in one sense, subjected the world to this in hope, as we'll see in a minute. So that's your kind of overarching truth there in verse 18. But then in verse 19 through 22, he notes this. Creation suffers longingly with groans in hope of freedom. Creation suffers longingly with groans in hope of freedom. Look at it in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that creation is all creation. All creation from the beginning of time when God said, let there be light. When God spoke and time began and creation came out of nothing. Um, when that happened, when God spoke, ever since that moment, um, at, at, even specifically at the fall, they have been longing uh, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, why is the revealing of the sons of God what they're waiting for? What we're going to see is that when the sons of God are revealed to all creation, it's kind of like the marker that all creation knows that they too are going to experience this freedom that Paul is going to describe for us. That creation's longing, waiting, looking out around the world, waiting for Christ to return and the sons of God to be revealed. So when they see that, they know that they too are going to experience this freedom that they have um, been suffering in. Look in verse 20. He goes on, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the, its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It says that creation is waiting and eagerly longing. The, the, the New Testament that J.B. Phillips wrote in modern English, it says this, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Have you ever seen little kids on tiptoes, excited, waiting, eager for whatever is about to be displayed in front of them? And it, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying that creation is, is like that. It's eagerly longing on the, the edge of its seat standing on tiptoes ready for this revealing of the sons of God. Uh, looking for it. Longing for it. They're waiting for it. Um, like Isaiah says in chapter 25, 8 and 9, he speaks of um, death being swallowed up forever. And one day the Lord wiping away every tear from all of the faces and the reproach of His people will take, be taken away from all of the earth for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah writes that it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Creation is longing and waiting for this moment. And they've been waiting for this moment ever since the beginning of time. And it says in verse 20 that creation was subjected to futility, but not willingly. That's, that's interesting to consider. Creation didn't want to go through this suffering that they're experiencing. And in this passage, it doesn't quote specifically, but this passage is going back all the way to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and alluding to the fact that, they were, that cre when creation was made, it was perfect. And yet when Adam sinned against God, the fall came upon creation and they began to experience this Futility. They began to experience this brokenness. They began to experience what we call the fall. And we can read about this happening in Genesis chapter 3. We can read part of the curse of God on the woman and on the man in Genesis chapter 3. And in verse 16, because man and woman sinned against God, God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. 
For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And lest we think that that was something that just Adam and Eve experienced, those of you who gave birth this past year could um, remind us all of the pain that comes in the midst of childbearing. And those of you who, like me, this weekend worked in the backyard with literal thorns and thistles and have the scars to show from it, you too can, you know that this is still happening. That the, the curse that came upon all of creation was experienced from the very beginning till now. And yet Paul is saying that creation didn't say, ooh me, I'll do it. I'll willingly, I'll be subjected to that. I'd love to have a curse. But, but Paul says, no, it was subjected to the curse by Him who subjected it. Who was that? It was the Lord Himself. God, think about this, God before He even created all of creation knew that Adam and Eve would sin against Him and all of creation would experience the curse. And yet God moved forward and said, let there be light and subjected creation to futility in hope. In hope, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, that the creation itself will be one day set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God subjected creation to not only enjoy being made, but also to the curse, knowing that in hope, hope that wasn't seen then, but we see now partially in Christ and we'll see fully one day when Christ returns, uh, they too will get to obtain freedom. And, and I hadn't thought about this until this morning, and we were singing some of the songs that Graham intentionally chose for this passage. But one of the lines in the song was that, uh, and, and I think it's true for us and, and also true for cre creation, that experiencing suffering and the effects of the curse will make glory all that better. And that, that, that creation having been subjected to this, is, this is why they're eagerly longing for the new heavens and the new earth, the redemption of all creation. And we too, having experienced these things as Paul will get into, we too have a, a greater sense of longing for them. Um, he says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only did women experience that pain in childbirth from the beginning, but creation has been experiencing these things. And they're longing for this moment that is to come in the future that they would be, the Bible says, set free. Set free from what? It's bondage to corruption or bondage to death and decay. And one day, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
So even creation is enduring suffering, longing patiently in the midst of suffering, groaning in the midst of suffering in hope that one day they would get to experience freedom. That they too would uh, experience a release from this chain-like bondage to death and corruption and decay uh, that they have been experiencing up until this point. And we can look around and we can look at all of creation and realize that this is true. Not only looking at the thorns and the thistles and the pains that come, but we can look at the turmoil that, that the world experiences in natural disasters, uh, in disease, in famine, uh, poverty, uh, all the way to death. We can just look around and see all that creation is experiencing that, but, but we know because of these verses that they're experiencing those things and we're subjected to those things by God Himself in hope that one day they would experience total freedom to do what they were created to do fully. And this caused me even this week to just step back and be amazed. Because I, I want you to think, do you remember how Paul started Romans? If we go back to Romans chapter 1 after his introduction, he talks about how um, the divine attributes and, and the eternal power and nature of God are clearly seen in all of God's creation ever since the be beginning of the world. Paul started his letter saying, you can look at all of God's creation and know that God exists and know that He is divine and know that He's eternal and know that He has all power when you look at those mountains and you look at the trees and you feel the wind and you hear the waves crashing on the shore and, and you look at humanity. You can look out and and, and see when you see animals and when you see colors and when you taste tastes and when you hear sounds and you feel temperatures and all of those things, we ought to be able to know that there, God, that there is a God. And yet now here in Romans chapter 8, he's saying that all of that is distorted and like partial. And, and that's just creation groaning. What if creation were singing? What if creation were set free from its chains and its bondage to display the glory of God like it was created to do in the beginning? And yet, even in broken, chained creation, we know that there is a God. Um, that is, that's just, that was, um, caused me to pause and reflect and consider of what is to come. And if we look at creation now and say, God, you are good, and we worship him in that moment, how much more so when they're set free and, and are made new in the new heavens and the new earth, are we going to look at the world around us, the stars in the sky and everything that he's created and want to worship him even more? And so creation is experiencing this bondage they're suffering longingly uh, with groans in the hope of this freedom that is to come. 
And Isaiah chapter 11 pictures it. It pictures this freedom that is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. In Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 6, he says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child, mothers, shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For all the earth, listen, shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And that's in Old Testament predicting what will happen. John writes in Revelation, looking forward as well, in Revelation 22, verse 3, that this will happen, saying, no longer will there be anything accursed, as in Genesis chapter 3, curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. All of creation is groaning in these pains of childbirth uh, and have been groaning since the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 3 until now and will continue groaning until Christ makes all things new. But Paul is, is trying to explain here again that the sufferings that creation is experiencing are not worth comparing to the glory that they're going to experience one day. But not just creation. Paul goes another step. Not just the created world, but he says in verse 23, not only creation, but we ourselves. This is the second point. That God's children suffer patiently with groans like creation, but differently. God's children suffer patiently with groans in hope of adoption. Creation was not longing for adoption. They were just longing to be set free from the bondage that they have been experiencing since the fall. But Paul says that this other group that he includes himself in, we too, uh, not only creation, but we ourselves are, are groaning as well, but specifically for adoption, even something better than creation is going to experience. In verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves. And if we go back to verse 12, he included himself in that verse as well. And so we know what, that he's talking about those who have experienced, as he says, the first fruits of the Spirit. So this is not everyone. Um, all creation, including all humanity, is groaning on the inside, longing to be set free from the curse. But those who are children of God are groaning even more and are groaning in, a, in another sense 
not just to be set free from the curse, but to be able to enjoy adoption as sons and daughters of God. This is the group of people who have experienced the first fruits of salvation. Those who have experienced the new realities of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Those who have experienced what it means to live in no condemnation. Those who have lived in this new reality of what it means to be set free from sin and death. Those who know the new reality of um, living life in peace with God uh, in hope of this, this redemption of our bodies one day. The first fruits of these new identities that we have as children of God as well as debtors to God because we've been given the Spirit of God. Everything he's talked about from verse 1 of Romans 8 all the way to our passage this morning. Those are the first fruits of salvation that we have in accordance with the Spirit. And he says, we ourselves who have have those first fruits, we've experienced those realities, we have those new identities of the Spirit, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly not simply to be set free from the bondage to corruption, but as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul is saying that while it is true that we have been adopted, while it is true that we have been saved, we live in this um, already but not yet time where it's been declared what Christ has done on the cross and in the resurrection has has been finished it's been accomplished and yet it's not to its full potential yet we're still eagerly longing for its fullness to come about when Christ returns and we stand before God and are not judged by our sins any longer because Christ has already been judged in our place for our sins. Where our body that is groaning here on this earth, like all of creation, and ready to be set free, but our, as Christians, our spirit is groaning inwardly as well for that fullness of adoption that we'll get to experience when we get to stand before our Heavenly Father and sit at the table with our Heavenly Father. We're longing for that day. We know a glimpse of it, and we know a taste of it, but there is an inward longing by we who are children of God, who have experienced the first fruits of our salvation, that we are inwardly and eagerly waiting this adoption to come to its full reality and full potential. He says in verse 24, and here's where we see hope repeated over and over. For in this hope, this adoption, the redemption of our bodies, in this hope we were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. God is 
said to have been the one who subjected creation to the curse, to that futility in hope, Uh, hope that was to come in the future. And we too are waiting here kind of in between the times, between Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection and His eventual return when He makes all things new. And we're waiting in hope of this future reality that is is coming for us. And and there's these words here that that are describing how we are to suffer well in, in in this season, in between these times, with the words eagerness and the words patience. That there is both a eager patience uh, that we wait and suffer well in this. An eagerness in the sense that we, like the song we were singing earlier, uh, is saying, come soon, Lord Jesus. And we're looking forward to Him returning. And we can't wait for that moment to come. And, and at the same time, there's a patience. And there's a, I'll trust you in this. And I'll suffer well in this. And I'll endure through this well. There's an eagerness where we want the time to be shortened and we want Him to come right here, right now. And there's a patience in that we also know that it may not be in our lifetime. And we'll be willing to endure a hundred years and groan with all creation for all of that and grown with our brothers and sisters in Christ for as long as we've put our faith in Jesus. And so an eagerness and a patience. I was even talking with one of you this morning about how in different seasons of your life, you're more eager for the end to come soon. And in other seasons of your life, you're more patient and being okay with that to be a little bit longer. When you're sick, Come, Lord Jesus, just return right here, right now. But when you're enjoying life, Lord, I'm willing to be patient. I'll I'll endure this a little bit longer. Life is good. I'll be patient. But there's different seasons where it's easier to be eager and harder to be patient. And there's other seasons when it's easier to be patient and hard to be eager. Um, And yet there's a good balance that we need to have in these times where we know the truth that uh, we are adopted sons and that when Christ returns, that will be fully realized. And we have this long-term perspective to this life, this hundred years here on this earth, knowing that there is an eternity beyond that, that that we're looking forward to. But there's a groaning. There's a groaning by creation that creation is suffering and groaning, uh, waiting for the hope of this freedom. We're in that as well. But for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have experienced the first fruits of salvation, there's another sense of groaning. That groaning as children of God waiting for our adoption to be fully realized for us to be able to not just cry out, Abba, Father, but to be able to stand before and see Abba, Father. 
And so we, we hope for that. We wait for that with patience. And when we think about those two realities, that we're not only suffering as part of God's creation, uh, but also suffering as children of God, um, that could also mean suffering as one who bears the name of Christ and suffering for His namesake and, and, and suffering as a Christian when we boldly declare our belief in the gospel. We boldly declare what it means to live in accordance with God's Word and, and for Christ. There may be another sense of suffering and another sense of longing for Christ to return because we're suffering as one of Christ's uh, brothers, one of God's children, when we experience persecution, uh, when we experience what Paul experienced and details well in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All the persecutions he experienced, the suffering he experienced as a follower of Christ. And Christian, you too, you who have experienced the first fruits uh, of the Spirit, those new realities and those new identities in the Spirit, you too... As Paul says in verse 17, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Do you realize that Christ not only suffered as a part of all creation by taking on flesh and knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty and tired and sick and and experience pain and all of those things, but He also knew Uh, what it was to experience being God's Son and suffering for declaring it, that He was God's Son. Being persecuted for declaring the truth about who God was and who He was. And we too as children of God, um, we have assurance when we experience suffering like Christ. Not only in the flesh as a part of God's creation, but in the Spirit as one of God's children in persecution from the world uh, against us. And when you hear that type of suffering that we experience as creation uh, and as Christians, it, it seems pretty daunting. It seems like we couldn't do this on our own. And in fact, You can't. We can't. We need help. And that's why Paul goes right into the next paragraph. And he talks about the help that we have. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the suffering as a part of God's creation and in the suffering uh, as a Christian that we experience as a child of God, we have help. We have help from God in the Spirit of God. And so note this lastly, that the Spirit intercedes deeply with groans in the hope of the will of God. Creation has been groaning. Christians are groaning. And yet here we see that the Spirit is groaning. So it can't, groaning can't be all bad. There's got to be a sense of groaning that has got to be right 
that we know that the curse has come and we groan in the midst of it, that we know that, um, that we're groaning and waiting for adoption as sons, but the Spirit here is interceding us uh, for us deeply with groans in hope of the will of God. Look in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You, you know what this is, what this feels like. Uh, life is not what you want it to be. Uh, you're sick, you're lost your job, you're hurting, you've experienced loss, you've experienced lack, you've uh, experienced some aspect of suffering as a part of God's creation, and you're at the same time longing and waiting for Christ to return, and, and so you pray, Lord, help. Uh, like, take this sickness away from me. Take the, give me what I need to be able to pay the bills. Give me this job. Give me uh, this relationship. Give me all of these things. And, and even in the midst of those prayers, as we're praying, we're praying really small prayers. Uh, we don't even know what to pray. We don't even know what we want. We don't even know what would fix some of our heart issues when we're praying in the midst of those moments as, our, as we're experiencing that groaning as creation and that groaning as longing as children of God. But we have help. We have help in God, the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to all of His children who helps us in our prayers. And I think one way that He helps us, not only the way that is specifically mentioned here, um, but we can see it is related in the rest of Scripture, is that God's Word is inspired by the Spirit of God. And so if we want to pray Spirit-like prayers, we need to open up our Bibles, read God's Word, uh, memorize God's Word, meditate on God's Word. We need to pray God's Word. When we don't know what to pray, open the book of Psalms and find a psalm that, that helps you to pray a biblical, godly, Spirit-inspired prayer. But at the same time, we have this promise and this assurance that even when we don't know what to pray, even when we can't find that psalm that helps us to pray uh, Spirit-inspired prayers, the Spirit is praying on our behalf. The Holy Spirit's interceding, Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, with groanings too deep for words. They're groanings so deep that words couldn't even convey them. Um, doesn't mean that they're not clear. Doesn't mean that they're not specific. Doesn't mean that... Um, God the Father Himself doesn't understand and hear them. It just means that words themselves could not convey what the Spirit is, is praying. And the Spirit's able to do this because the Spirit is God. We have a finite, temporary 
small perspective when we pray most often. Uh, But the Spirit has all eternity in mind. He has all humanity in mind. He knows how our story interacts with others' stories right here, right now, and in the future. And if God were to give us everything that we actually prayed for, it, it may not actually be best for us or for others around us. Which is why I said earlier we ought to end all of our prayers. Even if we're praying God's Word back to God Himself, we ought to say, but not my will, but your will be done. But when the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, we have this promise and this assurance that God the Holy Spirit is interceding us perfectly in accordance with God's will. And that's good news. That's good news for us. Look at the the last verse that we'll be looking at this morning, verse 27. And he who searches hearts, who is that? That's the Lord Himself, God the Father. He who searches hearts, He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. How does He know what the mind of the Spirit is? Because it's His Spirit whom He has given to us. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, and how does He do so? According to the will of God. And so when... We, with all of creation, are groaning because of the effects of the fall and the curse. And we're suffering like Christ suffered in the flesh. And when we as Christians are suffering uh, in the Spirit, longing for our adoption and redemption to be fully realized in the end, Um, like all Christians have in all generations. And we are eagerly longing and waiting patiently for Christ to return. We have help. We have this promise that God the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Even when we don't know what to pray and just have to be silent before the Lord, we know that God the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And what you're going to see next week is that it's not only the Holy Spirit who's interceding on our behalf, but Christ Himself who's at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us as well. God the Holy Spirit and God the Son who's our sympathetic high priest and savior, are interceding on our behalf as you go through this life groaning. Sick, tired, hurting, lonely, in despair, sad, crying, um, wanting more, needing this, that, or the other, Whatever you in this moment in time are experiencing that's causing you to groan with all humanity or whatever aspect of uh, you is longing for Christ returning and you getting to be with God forever, 
um, know that those that the Holy Spirit is interceding in accordance with God's will for you in those moments. And at the same time, we've got brothers and sisters, other adopted heirs in Christ who can come alongside one another in those moments to intercede on one another's behalf. We who have been united with that very Spirit, which is why when our hearts agree uh, in accordance with God's Word and in accordance with the Spirit, it's more likely that we know the will of God in those moments and we can encourage people in those moments. And so let's look forward. Let's have this hope of glory that is to come. Even though we groan as a part of God's creation, even though we groan as a part of God's family, Let's look forward. Let's eagerly long for and be, yet be patient for uh, the return of the Son of God. Let's, let's look forward to the hope of glory that we have in Christ. Yes, there will be more groaning, not only as a part of God's creation, but even as a part of God's family. But we can groan well knowing that the Spirit Himself is groaning on our behalf for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I trust Your Word and, and know that in accordance with Your Word, uh, in the group that is gathered together uh, this morning here, some here are groaning because of the effects of the curse and the fall more than they ever have. Relationships are not as they are. Jobs are not as they are. Health is not as it ought to be. Joy is far as far as it's ever been. There are others who, as your children, are experiencing another level of suffering like Christ experienced while here on this earth as your son, who because they've taken on the name of Christ as a Christian and repented of their sins and believed uh, in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and salvation of their souls, they, they too have been ostracized by family, looked down upon by co-workers, judged uh, by friends, they're experiencing some level of suffering as one of God's children. God, whatever level the people who have gathered together here this morning are experiencing of those hardships, whatever level of groaning is coming from them, let them not forget. Let them remember this morning that Your very Spirit has been given to them to intercede on their behalf, to give them Your Word so that they can pray in accordance with Your will, uh, and to know that even being silent before You, they know that, that Your Spirit is interceding for them. God, let that encourage us this day. Let us hold fast to that promise. Let us um, strive forward as we wait eagerly 
uh, and patiently uh, long for your return as we live in between these times. Not knowing what may happen this afternoon or tomorrow or next week or next year, um, but knowing that you do. And as we'll see in the coming Scriptures, that you will work all things together for the good of those who love you. So Lord, let us hold fast to these truths. Let us walk in the Spirit by faith to be able to groan well this week. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.